0: You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit RealityHonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. Welcome, thank you so much for joining us for Digital House Church on Sunday here at Reality Honolulu. By now, you probably know me, unless this is your first time, which we're so glad that you're here, but my name is Riz, the pastor here at Reality Honolulu, and even though this is digital, and we've been doing this for a year, uh, which is crazy, I am so thankful that God is still using it and building His church and being faithful and still being God. Amen. Amen. Well, so grateful for the worship team, and for that time of worship. Uh, we're going to actually continue our time of worship before we get into a few announcements and and the word of God this morning. But what I mean by that is we see our giving, our tithes and offerings, the way in which we participate in the building of God's kingdom. One of the ways is by giving, and it's, and we see that it's an act of worship, a way in which we give glory and credit and honor to God with what He's already given us. It's a way. That we can model his image Of being generous um, And that's what we do and that's how we participate And that's how we're involved one way Another way uh, in which We worship and are involved in the building Of God's kingdom and so even though We're not in person and we're not uh, in, You know giving's digital and all that I want to just pause I want to thank The Lord for your generosity And for the way in which we Corporately can be a part And see God's kingdom going Forth and uh, in Hawaii as it is in heaven into the outer reaches of the world. And I'm just excited to be a part of that and grateful to be a part of what God is doing. So let me thank him and ask him to bless um, this and use it for his glory and then pray for our time today together. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the ways in which we can worship you, that we can boldly approach your throne of grace, that because of the cross, because of what you did on the cross for us, that now your people have access to your presence. And we can do that. We can worship you, not only with our voices and with instruments and with um and with singing, but we can do that with the things which you've given us, that we're just stewards of. God, we believe that we're stewards of our time, talent, and treasure. And our finances are one of those. And God, we we give to you now. We've given this week. Like we we, um, participate in the building of your kingdom by doing this. And God, we just say that you should get all the glory. We want none of the credit. We ask that your name would be exalted in our church and throughout all we do and all credit would be given to you. So God, we ask that you'd use these funds for the furthering of your kingdom and many would come to know you through them. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, before we get into the Word of God like we do every week, I have a couple announcements that I want to make sure uh, that you are aware of. Three very exciting announcements. The first one is... A big one, right, that you heard about last week and last Sunday is that we have a new home and a new chapter of our church and have a whole announcement video for that. I'd love for you to go check out. It's on the front page of the website, but God is continuing to lead us and guide us as a church and guys, um, as your pastor and uh, someone that's been around from the very beginning of the church, this is... Very exciting, and there is so much that God is doing and want to do, and we're going to fill you in and and, and make sure you're totally involved over the next few months and years, but um, good things, amazing things ahead, and uh, really excited for what God is doing. Secondly, is next Saturday, we're having our very first equipping class, biblical equipping. And it's uh, the first of hopefully many ways in which we offer tools and resources for you to grow in discipleship and specifically grow in the ability to study and interpret and apply the Bible well and correctly. And again, all this information is on online, social media, um, through our email newsletter. But uh, space is limited for that. We're getting kind of full and so love for you to participate in this first one coming up next Saturday the 20th of March from 9 to 12 a.m. Um, But again, all the information you can find on the website. But I just want to make sure you know that we're starting equipping classes throughout the year um, that we're excited for you to be a part of. And lastly, if you've kind of missed it also, um, we are doing in-person or live stream of our Easter service. Um, And so... Yes, we're gathering in person for Easter for those that can and are comfortable to make it um, at our home that we have so graci- graciously been using um, the Witty Home up here on Tantalus, uh, right Makiki Mc- Heights area, large outdoor space that we can spread out. Um, if you went to our Christmas Eve or night of worship or any of our Wednesday nights, you know where that is. It's the same place. And so we can safely um, gather and worship and celebrate our risen Lord, right? Easter is a time for the church to gather, whether that's in person or digitally, which we'll have live stream 10 a.m., where we gather to celebrate that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, died on Good Friday, right, Friday, but three days later Later, he rose again victoriously from the grave, defeating sin, death, and the devil. It is what gives our faith validity, the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And so without that, we would have no faith, and Christianity is non-existent. And so it is a time to celebrate, and even in the midst of the craziness um, and the hardships that is going on, church, I want to encourage you to in person, or live stream, gather with us. Again, all the information on the EBS website. Um, but excited for that, April 4th, Sunday, 10 a.m., we're going to be celebrating our risen Lord. Amen? Amen. Exciting things. Well, without further ado, we are going to jump into the word of God where we uh, and where we pick up is in chapter 17 of the book of Acts. And so we finished chapter 16 last week looking at the city of Philippi. And now Paul's second missionary journey is continuing here in Thessalonica and Berea. And so read with me Acts 17, 1 through 15, if you have a Bible or a Bible app, reading out of the NIV, New International Version here. And it says this, when Paul and his companions had passed through Amaphilus and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace. They formed a mob and they started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. And Jason, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others bond and let them go. Then in Berea, transitions right there, verse 10. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Once again. Verse 11, now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. But when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, some of them went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. The believers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. Those who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. Okay, so once again, we pick up the story much like we've heard previously where Paul and his companions, Timothy and Silas and our narrator, our author Luke here, once again is seeing the gospel go forth. Now in Europe, in modern day Greece, and the the, the, the gospel is going forth and obviously there's mixed reactions. Some are believing, some are not. Um, Some Jews are believing, some are not. Greeks, Gentiles, those outside of the Jewish people and the Jewish nation are beginning to believe and the gospel is beginning to spread as it was designed to every man and woman, young and old, of every tongue, tribe, and nation. And what's happening here today, again, in the same way, Paul is going to the synagogues first. He's going to the Jewish place of worship. He's using that as a, uh, you know, a, a... building blocks or a platform or an inroad to talk about this Jesus that is the Messiah, the Messiah being the Savior, the promised one that the Jewish people for millennia here had been prophesying about, that the Torah, that their their scriptures had foretold that one day the promised Messiah would come and Paul is beginning to tell them the one that you have been waiting for and praying for and anticipating has come. And he is Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who you, who, who the world killed on behalf of this truth. He is, Jesus is the Messiah. And so once again, the gospel is advancing to Jews and Gentiles, men and women, all people. And again, some believe, some don't. Persecution comes, opposition comes. But there's a few really cool, important things that I want to point out. And I want to use verses 6 and 7 kind of as a springboard to kind of pull those out, right? I don't know if you caught it, but... Verses 6 and 7, pretty unique, pretty cool, pretty special here. It says this, reading them again. Right, so they didn't find Paul and Silas. They dragged out Jason, who, who they were staying with, and some other believers before the officials, right, publicly kind of trying to persecute, trying to find them. And this is their case against them. These men, Paul, Silas, Timothy, Luke, and all the believers at this time, These men who have caused trouble all over the world, kind of dramatic there because it's not the entire world, but but a lot of places, have now come here. Now this like Jesus, this gospel, this Paul person has come to our town and he's making a mess. And Jason here has welcomed them into his house. Then it goes on to say at the end of verse 7, what they're doing is they're all defying Caesar's decrees saying that there's another king and his name is Jesus. I want to know in other translations there, verse six, uh, like the ESV version and others says, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Different way of saying have, have caused trouble. But but the point there being is they are disrupting everything. Right, they're disrupting our way of life. They're talking about another king. Um, they're disrupting like systems and structures in place. You know, at the time, uh, the, Ro- the Roman Empire was ruling the world as they knew it, and these were Roman colonies. And so, by the-, the Caesar was like a god, a deity to them. And what Caesar said happened. I mean, this was a Roman rule, Roman colony. Caesar being their god, their supreme ruler. Um, the king and ruler of the Roman empire. And what's being said here is that these Jesus followers, they're confronting the way of Caesar. Literally the decrees of Caesar are in contrary to the decrees of God. Not all of them, but that's what's happening. The way of Jesus, who's king, Who is the true king? Who is the king of kings is being confronted. And so what these non-believing, non-Jesus following people were seeing was that there was something so different that they had ever seen and it was disrupting the status quo and how society functioned. At that time, how the Roman Empire's values and what it meant to be a citizen or have allegiance to the Roman Empire, even where your hope was supposed to be placed, was being challenged. And again, regardless of the response which again it's mixed, right what was happening was the gospel, the messengers of this gospel. Jesus followers in the way of Jesus was being a witness Um, put on full display. I mean, this is in the public square. I mean, the, the attention of the city is on this. And again, this has happened city after city, region after region. The gospel is disrupting the way of life as they knew it. Right? Their lifestyle Their beliefs, how they conducted themselves, was uh, how Paul and them were were doing all these things, was communicating powerful things. And in essence, it was showing and telling of Jesus to the world. And I want to ask us this morning, what made these Jesus followers... Paul and Timothy and Silas and Luke and others. What made them different? What defined them? Right? This group of Jesus followers. What made them different? What made them stand out? What caused this disruption? What, what caused this talk in the first place? What was different about them than others? Why didn't they just blend in? And so, there's a few points I want to I take out. I, I think we see it here today and in, in their lives. And I believe that we, uh, as Jesus followers, those that also are Christians, that, that are attempting to love and live for Jesus and follow him as disciples, just like Paul did. What we can learn, there's some, there's some characteristics. There are some defining characteristics of the Christian Of the Jesus follower. That should set us apart. That should define us. And should cause some good trouble here. And the world around us. Should be turned upside down as well. By the way in which we think. And we speak as messengers of the gospel as well. This is the first thing I think we see today. And I believe that we. That should mark us as well. Number one. Is they were students of the word of God. We see this a couple times in these 15 verses. The first is with Paul and his companions. This is in verse 3. It says, as was his custom, as was the norm. Paul went into the synagogue, the Jewish place of worship. And on three Sabbath days, meaning three weeks. Sabbath usually being on the Sunday. Uh, this was three weeks in a row. He reasoned with those there, most likely Jews, right, in, in a synagogue. He's reasoning with them from the scriptures, from the word of God that they believe in. This is the Torah. This is the Pentateuch. This is uh, this, the story of, their, of Israel and its people. He said he spent three Sabbath days reasoning with them from the scriptures. Explaining, proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. And so most likely what Paul was doing is Paul knew the word of God well. He knew what it said. And he was now trying to go through probably most likely Old Testament prophecy like in Isaiah Or in the book of Psalms. right? Isaiah 53 or Psalm 22. He was taking them back to the Old Testament. To their patriarchs. To their their Old Testament prophets of the Jewish people. Like Isaiah or King David. Who they absolutely believed in. And said do you see what the scriptures say here? Well let me tell you about Jesus. And let me tell you about how his life actually fulfills the very scriptures that you believe in. And again Paul and his companions were such students of the word. That he could do this. He knew what the word of God said. And he wrestled. He explained. He proved. And he was patient to spend time with them. So that. In hopes that. He could win them over. And the dots in their mind could be connected. The Messiah that the Jews had been waiting for. Is found. In the person Of Jesus Christ. This is what Paul is doing here. But not only that. Not only do we see that Paul was a student of the word of God. But we see later on. Now in Berea. That was Thessalonica. Now as he moves in verses you know. 10 through 15. uh, to, To Berea. Right this other city. When the Jews there believed. Look what they did. In verse 11. Now when the Berean Jews Of more noble character than those in the Thessalonica um, For they uh, For they received the message They believed right With great eagerness What did they do though? They examined the scriptures Every day To see if what Paul said Was true I mean they wanted to know The word of God And what God's word said for themselves They were students of the word of God. These Berean Jews. And again. What I want to point out here. Is that the word of God. Was their foundation. To everything they believed. That's why they spent time and effort. Knowing it. Again this was the foundation. Of everything they believed. Which in turn directed their lives. Which in turn informed their decision. And which guided them. In how they were to live. And act. Guys, in the same way, the word of God is to be the same for us. God's word is to be our bedrock, our plumb line, our understanding of who God is and who Jesus is, how we're saved and who we are in Christ and what that means of how we're supposed to live and act in the world around us and the hope we have in Jesus. I mean, it is everything. It is meant to be our everything. And the thing which defines us is what is in the word of God. And again, without a firm grasp of God's word, doesn't matter who you are, we will be easily swayed by everything else. Right? The world, um, our interpretation of the world, our own feelings, the news feed, even fellow believers, even the church itself, even pastors. If we do not know the word of God for ourselves and examine the world around us and use the word of God as a filter right, that we have a biblical worldview, right, that we know the Word of God. When we hear something or when someone asks us a question or when we see something happen in the world or even when a pastor or a church says something, we should have such a grasp on the Word of God that we can know if that's right, that's wrong. Is that what the Word of God says or it doesn't so that we can be careful not to be swayed by other things than the Word of God itself, so, what that means for the Christian is that we all individually need to know God's word for ourselves. And what I want to point out is, do you see how the Berean believers did this? This is like, this is, this is really important. See, Paul was Paul. I mean, he was amazing. This apostle, this, this, this Jew of Jews. I mean, this is super Christian. I mean, he's the man. It would have been easy just to believe everything he said. Just soak up everything. But that is not exactly what they did at all. They, just, they didn't just take Paul's word for it. But they checked what he said. Or they knew the word well enough themselves to check and see if what Paul was saying was biblical. Was this in line with the scriptures? Which, again, I cannot um, stress enough that it is so important that you just don't take my word for it or another pastor's word for it, but that we ourselves know the scriptures ourselves. And what I believe, it's my opinion, um, what I believe is honestly, I think 2020 would have been so different if Christians knew the word of God. Or at least the way things played out or the responses or or you know what I'm talking about. Again, if Christians actually knew the word of God, which again tells us the heart of God and the very character of God and the way of Jesus... If we just have, if Christians just had known the word of God for themselves, we would have been in such a better place. Again, I, I'm, I'm honestly shocked by the things that I saw and heard by pastors and preachers and churches. And then the church just went with it. And also just believers i known for a long time. Viewing the world in a, um, what I believe is a more cultural or maybe a national view rather than a correct biblical interpretation rotation. Again, that's just me. That's just my, my viewpoint. But uh, if I could, rev- I wish we could all reverse right things. But my plea now and what I hope and I I wish had happened is that we had a a greater individual biblical understanding for our own so that we knew how to navigate the world and deal with the world and think through things because we were so grounded in the world. And so my pastoral plea, my pastoral plea uh, to us at Reality Honolulu that call Reality Honolulu Home um, is to endeavor to continue and never stop continuing to be students of the Word of God. That we would be in the Word, knowing it, correctly interpreting it, and that it would be the very very foundation of our lives and everything about us would come out of it. That said, a little plug here, a part of our heart for discipleship here at Reality is for us to grow in this area and to provide tools and resources for this type of growth. And so if you are not aware... In addition to the sermon now, every Monday on the website and every uh, Tuesday when we send out the newsletter, we have additional discussion questions and resources to provide uh, time to journal or discuss or pray about or look into more of what the text is talking about so that we can... Additionally, outside of Sundays, you this week with your Ohana group, with your family, with your, with your kids, can dig into more of what the Word of God is saying in our text on Sundays. Uh, we, we provide that every week now. And also, like you heard in announcements, next Saturday is our first equipping course to do this very thing to help us grow in correct biblical interpretation and application for our lives. And so I so highly encourage you to go to this one or when it comes up again. But church, my pastoral plea for us as Reality Honolulu is to be Bereans when it comes to knowing God's word. Amen? Amen. Um, I wish I could hear you say amen. I can't wait for the day in person. I hear you say amen. But thank you guys for the text or the messages during church when this happens uh, that you're actually listening and you're saying amen with me. So thank you for that. Um, but number two, right? that was number one, knowing the word of God. Number two, uh, something definitive and that defined Paul and his companions and I believe that should define the Christian as well um, for our witness is that we are. They were led and empowered by the spirit of God, right? Thinking about our text today, right? You have to remind yourself and ask these questions. How did they even get there? How were they even doing these things? How did they have the strength to go on despite persecution? How were they so bold, right? Looking at the book of Acts, looking at what's happened, you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe these these people, these followers of Jesus, they were just going for it. Well, I want to remind us, it, it was not that they were amazing and capable in and of themselves at all. They were all super flawed and had weaknesses and messed up and failed and struggles. But rather, it wasn't them, but it was rather God in them. Again, in addition to a great reliance upon God's word, which we just saw... Paul and his companions had a very healthy reliance and dependency on God's spirit for their strength, boldness, and abilities. Again, if you go to the letter, the first letter that Paul wrote, the very church that is started here, these first believers in Thessalonica, we know it as First. Thessalonians in the New Testament, right? We have first and second Thessalonians. Um, in Paul's first letter to the believers in Thessalonica, again, where the first believers just converted and started the church, he reminds the believers this. In first Thessalonians 2, 1 Thessalonians 2.1, he says, for you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. Speaking of what's happening in 17, right? This is a, le- uh, a letter to them but right he's talking about act 17 here he says but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi the end of 16 last week's sermon as you know we had boldness in who in themselves no 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 boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict literally much agony Right in the midst of all that's going on, is it say, "Oh, you know what? We had just had great experiences, and this is just how we're wired, and like I'm just an amazing human." Paul said, like, "No, no, no. I had boldness in our God, and that's the reason why I did all that I did. See, it, it was Paul. It wasn't Paul's own doing, or a mustering up of his own strength, but his boldness and his drive and his strength and his perseverance and endurance was." In God. It was found in God. And what was happening here in Acts 17, those in Thessalonica were declaring that these people, right, were stirring up trouble. This was good gospel trouble. And even though they didn't know it, they were seeing the Spirit's leading and empowerment. In Paul and in his companions, it wasn't just these radical people. It was the Spirit of God in these willing and available people. That's the key there. Because I don't want us to disconnect ourselves and all of a sudden go, well, this message isn't for me or the book of Acts isn't me because I'm not Paul. Yes, you are. And yes, I am. We're just human. But are we willing? Are we available to be used by the Spirit of God? to be empowered by the Spirit of God, to be given the power of God and the boldness of God to see his gospel go forth. And for our sake today, I cannot stress enough the importance that as Jesus followers that we don't do this on our own, not meant to be, not designed to be, not supposed to. I cannot stress enough the importance of us being spirit-filled and spirit-led and dependent on God's strength for everything we do, right? As Paul would say, apart, or, or you know, Jesus would say, As par- apart from me, you can do nothing. Right, he was talking to his disciples, John 15. I want you to remain in me. I want you to be dependent on me. The only way your life's going to bear fruit and have the strength to do any of this and actually to live for me in the midst of a really broken world. The way in which you're going to be kingdom people and spirit-filled people isn't out of your own strength, but it's dependency upon Jesus and his Holy Spirit. So that's the second thing that, that, that reliance and how they're led and empowered by the Spirit of God. And, And lastly, what defined these Jesus followers to have such a powerful witness to the world around them of the gospel of Jesus is this, that their allegiance was to another king and that they're living for another kingdom. Okay, so right, they were traveling through these Roman colonies along the way, Uh, um, you know, many of the people that they went to in these synagogues were Jewish people, and Paul's main message to the Jews was that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus was the Savior, that Jesus was the King, and that his kingdom and God's rule and reign that comes from it had practical implications for their life here and now. It wasn't just a heaven or a heavenly kingdom to come, but the kingdom of God was actually supposed to become heaven on earth, right? That was Jesus' prayer on the Sermon on the Mount. He gathered his disciples, he gathered his followers, and he said, this is a way in which you should pray that my kingdom God's kingdom would come here on earth as it is in heaven. And so what was happening is that this message of Jesus being the Messiah and the king had all these practical implications, right? And it was completely disrupting the status quo. It was challenging. It was confronting. And to some, it was dangerous and threatening. Again, this wasn't new. Does that sound familiar? This is the very thing that the religious leaders and the Romans were threatened by that ultimately led Jesus to death upon the cross. Was this king in his kingdom? And wait a second, wait a second, is this disrupting how we live in the Roman Empire? And I thought, what does this mean for us to the point they were so threatened? They killed Jesus over this very same thing. See, this new message of Jesus being God's son and being the savior, not only for Israel, but for the whole world, was shocking. Right? Some thought this was blasphemy. I cannot believe that you said that. That is blasphemy. And again, it ended up that Jesus was punished by execution on the cross. But what we see here with Paul and his companions and what we know from Scripture of how the Jesus follower is supposed to live is exactly what Paul and his companions are doing. See, their primary allegiance wasn't to an earthly king or president or ruler or nation. It wasn't their primary allegiance and it was it was clear that it wasn't and so their their primary allegiance right was to the king of kings and the lord of lords that being Jesus Christ who rules and reigns the universe seated at the right hand of the father who is in heaven that is our king as well where our primary allegiance is to be and what they were saying and what they were bringing with them and what they were praying in again is what jesus told them to it's that the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of god it's ushering in this new countercultural way of living right that at that time and in our time as well it's very confronting to a sin-filled, evil-dominated world. It's very contrary. And so naturally, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world have major disruptions when they meet each other. And that's what's happening here in Thessalonica and Berea. Because what was happening is that so many people, when they heard this message about Jesus, about him being the king of the universe... And that his ways superseded the ways of even Caesar. Whoa. People were like, wait, how is this? We don't, we don't do that. Wait, this is our way of living. Um, we talk like this. This is how all our, our culture is. This is how our nation and our, uh, the Roman Empire is, is supposed to work. But again, the gospel and the gospel's messengers are beginning to tear some of those things down, right? All these social and systematic structures that weren't godly, that weren't God-honoring, that weren't uh, in line with God's kingdom, were being disrupted, were being challenged. And all of a sudden, what was entering was the love and grace and mercy and saving power of God through the person of Jesus Christ. And again, as a way of of kind of wrapping up here on this third point of our time in the Word today, um, it's something I've preached a lot this past year in line with this. Especially in our day and age, in our time of life that we're living in, I cannot hope for more um, than than what's happening here that, that as followers of Jesus that our primary allegiance is to King Jesus. Our primary way of living is for and praying in is for the kingdom of God, it's for God's kingdom. And any earthly king or ruler or nation or establishment that we're a part of or that we have would take a back seat or be secondary ...to King Jesus and his kingdom. That's going to be disruptive. That's not always going to sink, as you know and as you can tell. And how to live this way? As our primary allegiance to King Jesus and his kingdom coming... ...but we are still living in an earthly kingdom or nation with earthly rulers... How to live in this way and navigate, like, really complex issues is so difficult. It's really hard. But by knowing God's word, like being Bereans, and also being really dependent and led and empowered by the Spirit, in addition here, I believe in community, doing this together, It can be done. Does it mean it's not gonna be messy and we're gonna get it wrong and it's gonna be hard and difficult and we're not always gonna agree? Absolutely. But my hope is that using our text today would once again be a way of Jesus following or a way of kingdom living that we all might desire to be a part of, that we would live for God in the same way, maybe in a really different context, We would desire to live the way of Jesus and and follow with kingdom uh, principles the way that, that Paul and his companions did. And that my hope is that we too would be known as those that are turning the world upside down for the glory of God. That we would be known as those like, whoa, what are they doing? That doesn't make sense. And that's disrupting the status quo. Again, that's because my hope is that we're ushering in the kingdom of God and the ways of Jesus into the broken world around us. and People are seeing it. And again, my hope is or all this would happen for the goal of or for the goal so that others might hear about and see and prayerfully come to know the hope that we have in the person of Jesus Christ. Church, let's endeavor to do these things. Let's take steps, let's be prayerful, let's be mindful to be a people that are witnesses of Christ in this world, that we know the word of God, powered by the spirit of God and are primary allegiance is to our King and that King being King Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's pray and enter into a time of worship. God, thank you so much for our time right now in your word. Once again, we are so blessed by it and we're honored that you would speak to us through your word by the power of your spirit. God, I pray that each of us individually would grow um, in these areas that you would give us greater understanding of who you are through your word, that we'd have a greater dependency upon your spirit, that we'd be a people that are not led or directed by ourselves, but by the spirit of God that dwells in us, the very spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Thank you for today. We ask that you would be magnified and exalted in our time of worship now. Pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.